You're listening to Sportsnet Today on the official home of your Calgary Flames. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hour number two of Sportsnet Today. I'm Peter Klein filling in for Logan Gordon uh, for the rest of this week, which I guess is an hour uh, and a couple of days next week as well. Uh, Coming up uh, in about half an hour's time, we'll be hearing from Avery Lewis McDougall from the Hockey News talking about the other side of the Heritage Classic, both inspiring options for the hockey game this weekend. But we're shifting our focus now to the National Football League and no one better to do that with than the host of the fan check down he is matt marchese matt how's it going today sir i'm good you get to talk to me and i wasn't even on my own show today thank you very (laughs) much costco and your delivery times for appliances (laughs) well we uh we appreciate it it makes us feel special you know um i'll be honest when when i heard because we have your your show playing in here before it when um when i heard that you were going to be off i was like oh he is absolutely, as some of the kids would say, getting in one while watching the uh, the Buffalo Bills play. But apparently, it was more adulty reasons than that. Yeah, it was. It was. It was uh, when your washer machine goes on you, and you just and your wife decides, "Hey, we should do a laundry room reno and buy two new machines." Uh, that's the adulting that I was doing today. So yeah. It was fun. Oh, yeah. Just a, a lovely, lovely day. Well, you're welcome for the break on that then. Um, yeah, so, no, I appreciate that. <laughs> so last week, um, I, I saw on social media, you stated, as someone who uh, identifies as a Buffalo Bills fan, um, I don't think I'm outing anything here, um, you, you had said that the Buffalo Bills are frauds. Um, coming mm-hmm. off of Thursday night, do they feel more fraudulent, less fraudulent, equally fraudulent? Where are we at on the, the Buffalo Bills fraud meter after a Thursday night where they won but didn't cover? How about how about uh, a little bit less fraudulent? But okay. not, I'm not completely getting past it. So what I what I saw yesterday was a team that you know was was up ten nothing. They 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 stop the 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 Bucks and they they hold them to a field goal. They turn it over on basically the next play, and all of a sudden the game's ten ten, and the Bucks really hadn't been able to move the football all that well. And and that's circumstance, whatever, that's fine. But in the second half, the Bills moved the ball, but then they stopped taking chances, and that was very unlike really any offense that I have seen with Josh Allen at the helm. And you know there was the fourth and four where they tried to draw them offside. They ended up taking the five yards and punting. And I'm I'm at fourth and four. I'm like okay. But with about seven and a half minutes left, they go fourth and two, and they try and do the same thing. And in my mind, as I'm sitting there with a, a buddy of mine who's also a Bills fan watching the game, I said to him, how do you not go for the coup de gras there? How do you – you know that till that point the Bucks haven't been able to move the ball, and you as, a, as an organization are in a position where this is a must-win game. And so why not try and put the kill shot on? And sure enough – that didn't happen. The Bucks made it interesting. Uh, two penalties on fourth downs to force first downs. It, it was just, it was really, the second half was as productive as it was for the offense was kind of a bit of a mess. And that comes down to the, to the head coach who's, who's making these decisions. And I know people will point to the offensive coordinator and say, well, he's the one making the call, but Sean McDermott's going to have the final say where it comes down to, Hey, we're going for it on fourth and two here. And so I wonder if the team feels like they're almost a little fraudulent in their own mind and they lost a little bit of that swagger, despite the fact that Josh Allen had one of his best games of the year. Uh, Gabe Davis was great. Dalton Kincaid was great. Khalil Shakir was great. Stephon Diggs, all of that. 
Um, so a little bit less fraudulent, but the defense still has some warts. Um, they gave up 18 points to a Tampa Bay Buccaneers team that frankly isn't all that good on offense either. Yeah, uh, as someone who had uh, Bucks plus nine and a half and the under in that game, it went the only way it could have for me to have been successful. So I loved it. But um, it, it does feel like that the Bills, they uh, of any team need to be, I think, the most active around the, the NFL trade deadline. And I get like it's not. Uh, the, the NFL trade deadline isn't the same as the NHL or even uh, Major League Baseball and certainly not the NBA, but it does feel like the Bills need to be in here making at least a couple of moves, right? Yeah, and, and I my the first thing that I kind of leaned towards was they need linebacker help. But last night, uh, Bernard was pretty good um, and and a lot, getting a lot of praise on the broadcast, actually, from um from Kirk Herbstreet, but I, I had Joe Biscalia on uh, the checkdown yesterday. Uh, he covers the bills for the athletic. And I asked that question. I said, well, is it linebacker? Is it corner? And he actually suggested they need to go out and get a D tackle, a run stuffing D tackle. Huh. And my thought was, okay, I, I could see that. Cause the run defense, they've, they've allowed a lot of really big chunk plays in the run game. And that's been a problem. Um, the pass defense, I mean, leaves a little bit to be desired, but if you're generating a better pass rush, if you're able to stop the run, then you can focus more on it and kind of just sit back and, and, and wait. Um, they lost to Quan Jones for, in the London game, the same game as they lost Matt Milano. And he was a big part of, of the Bills' front seven, and, and specifically that defensive line. And he's out for pretty much the regular season, and I guess there's a chance that he comes back. Uh, if the Bills get into the playoffs, I can't believe I said if the Bills get into the playoffs, but yes, I did say if. Um, but they definitely need to look at some linebacking depth. They, it, a, a run-stuffing defensive tackle would be good, but I also believe that they still need to go out and look at cornerback depth. They, it, you know, when Trey White went down, they were already kind of sort of thin at the position, in my opinion. Uh, Kair Elam was a first-round pick a couple of years ago, and he really hasn't showed out at all. He was a, a healthy inactive for the first two or three games of the year, so... For me, it would be linebacking and corner depth, and, and I would be okay with that. But if they went out and got a run-stuffing D-tackle, then great. Uh, all this talk about Derrick Henry and stop it. He, the Bills can't make that work, I don't think, financially. It's like to create $12 million in cap space or something. It's just not happening. So let's put that one to bed, too. But what about another pass catcher, though? Because it, it does kind of feel like Stephon Diggs and everyone else maybe isn't enough. See, you know, it's funny that you say that because my thing was, was in the, um, what game was it? Was it the Giants game? I, I can't remember which game it was. Maybe it was the Patriots. Actually, it was a Patriots game. They threw to Gabe Davis a couple of times early. He fumbled, and then they stopped throwing to him. And we saw yesterday what Gabe Davis could do. He's a really good receiver. Um, we've also seen the emergence of, over the last two weeks, Dalton Kincaid, which was, you know, you drafted him in the first round. There's obviously some talent there. We've seen it now for two weeks. This guy's really good. Khalil Shakir balled out yesterday as well. He had a really good day. I think the receiving group, the pass-catching group, is fine. Even talking about James Cook out of the backfield, I think the offense has talent. It's just situational play calling that has kind of plagued them, less so yesterday. Well, I mean, I guess on fourth down, it kind of plagued them. Um, but the previous weeks, that's kind of what plagued them was situational play calling, and that's been the problem. I don't think it's a it's a lack of talent that's the issue. I think they need to be smarter with the decisions that they make when calling plays. Gabe Davis had double-digit targets yesterday. Stephon Diggs had double-digit targets yesterday. You know, Diggs had 
not as good of a game as he normally does, but he was still pretty darn good, and so was Gabe Davis. So I think the talent is there. I think they just need to be smarter, that's all. And I, and I think that's a pretty simple fix when you consider how good we've seen the offense be at points during the year. Uh, last one on the Bills, I promise. Uh, is McDermott coaching for his job the, the next half of the season? Because it, it feels like it feels like we're saying if they make the playoffs, that that might be not the best thing for, for his long-term health in Buffalo. He's made the playoffs five out of six seasons, and he was the coach of record when they got out of that lengthy playoff drought, which for all the Bill fans out there, I'm sorry that I brought it up, but it is factual. It sucked for a long time. Um, I think well, Sean McDermott has – uh, he's under contract, I think, until 2026 or through the 2026 season, which if we do the math, the stadium's supposed to be ready by that time. Uh, Brandon Bean also has the same extension. So I'd imagine that he's still the head coach by then. Sean McDermott has done a very good job in turning this franchise around, creating, you know, I know we overuse the word culture, but creating a culture, a winning culture that when you walk through those doors, at Highmark Stadium and the practice facility, you are expected to win. There is an expectation that has now been created that really the organization was void of for such a long time. So I think he's got the benefit of the doubt here. I think we also, you know, when we look at the AFC and just the NFL in general, there's a lot of mediocrity. The Bills shouldn't be where they are, even at five and three, which is not a horrible record by any stretch of the imagination. And you could make the case that the Bills are three or four plays away in total of being perfect. And I know that's not how the game works, but I think sometimes we get caught up in uh, the little nuances. And and, and in some cases, they're not really little nuances. They lost three games. Um, But I don't think he's coaching for his job. And I think he's aware of that. Um, but I, I listen, do I think that some of the decisions are questionable? Sure. But every coach makes them look at all the mistakes. All these coaches are making around the league. It's like, I don't know what happened, but uh, a lot of what I thought were smart people might've gotten dumber over the summer. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, you mentioned there's a lot of mediocrity in the NFL with that in mind. The Steelers are hosting Jacksonville this week. Um, I refuse to believe, and I can be very stubborn about these things, but I refuse to believe that the Pittsburgh Steelers are a good football team. Uh, they take on a Jacksonville team that I do think is pretty good. Um, am I too stubborn? Are the Steelers actually good? Or are we talking about more frauds at four and two in the AFC? I think the Steelers are Mike Tomlin. And that's going to sound really stupid. But there's one thing that Mike Tomlin always does, and it always has a winning season. So they are built in the image of their coach. Um, I, I, I don't think it's an issue of talent when it comes to the Pittsburgh Steelers, because I think they actually have a lot of it. Like, I would even make the argument that Kenny Pickett is not as bad as people think. But I think that sometimes their play calling is – well, not sometimes, all the time. It's really – horrible and and questionable at best um the usage for Najee Harris over Jalen Warren who's got just so much burst really leaves a lot to be desired so I actually it's funny to say I think I had them making the playoffs this year like I I I think I had the Browns in last um I had the Bengals second the Ravens first in that division but I think I had the Steelers in the playoffs. I had to back, go back and double check. And it's because of the Mike Tomlin factor. Mike Tomlin, all he does is have winning seasons. I think he's had one year where he finished at 500. So because of that, again, like I said with the Bills, when you walk in those doors at Heinz Field, there's an expectation to win. And that is what Mike Tomlin has created. Funny enough, 
him and, and Sean McDermott also went to the same school, William and Mary, and they played, I believe at the same time. So there's a lot of connections there, but um, I think the Steelers are actually pretty decent. Um, the again, the quarterback, the word, the word is still out on him. We've got to figure out what Kenny Pickett is, but George Pickens has been really good. Deontay Johnson looked good when he came back. They're missing Pat Fryermuth, who's also a really good player. And defensively, you know, you look at a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick, he's excellent. And, and they're going to get Hayward back shortly. I believe they just opened up the window for him to practice. I think the Steelers are a playoff team. I don't know if they're going to win a game, but they're certainly going to be a tough out. Like, let's, you know, when we look back at their season, they got dominated. And dominated probably isn't even a strong enough word in that game against San Francisco when they were at home in the season opener. And since then, they've gone out and done a pretty good job of winning football games. Whether we like it, whether they deserve it, you know, the Kenny Pickett's knee was down on that play against the Rams and the Rams kind of got screwed. Um, I think the Steelers are going to be there when it's all said and done in the playoff picture. And maybe we need to start looking at Mike Tomlin as one of the greatest coaches of all time, because I, I feel like, you know, aside from multiple championships, it's looking pretty good for Mike Tomlin as, as a, a case for Canton. And, and I think that, you know, the way he coaches is a, a really interesting reflection on how this team produces every single year under him. One of the, the marquee matchups of the weekend is in San Francisco where the 49ers are hosting the Cincinnati Bengals. It's got a bit more intrigue with Brock Purdy showing up on uh, concussion protocol. So potentially uh, going with your backup quarterback, who's Sam Darnold, who started before, uh, but without your starter and without Debo, they are still four-point favorites against a Bengals team that everything was survive till you get to the bye, survive to the bye. Well, now they're out of that. What are we expecting from the Bengals? And I guess what are we expecting from the 49ers in what looks like the, the biggest tilt of the weekend? So I'll start with the Bengals first. What, whatever we, we, I don't think we know what to expect from the Bengals out of the bye because we're going to find out very shortly how healthy Joe Burrow is coming out of that bye. We're going to see how mobile he is. We're going to see the types of throws that he's making. If they're able to, you know, when the pocket collapses, he's able to move out of that pocket and make plays down the field to guys like T Higgins, like Jamar Chase. So I, I, that's part of the conversation. Their defense has really been bend, don't break all year. And that's been a big reason, maybe the reason why they're at three and three right now uh, coming out of the bye. So I, I think, not I think, I know the Bengals are going to go as far as Joe Burrow is going to take them. And if he's healthy coming out of the bye, which I anticipate he's at least going to be healthier, because if not, then there's another conversation to be had about the Bengals and what they do on their bye weeks. But um, it's going to come down to how healthy Joe Burrow is coming out of that bye. Now, for the Niners, if Sam Darnold starts and Sam Darnold turns the world on fire, Kyle Shanahan is the QB whisperer, and we're not having this. Con that is a non-negotiable conversation. Because we've seen what he's done with other quarterbacks that he just wins, right? Well, it doesn't matter who's that quarterback. He just finds a way to win. Um, so we're going to see. The interesting thing here is, generally speaking, guys who hit the concussion protocol this late in the week, I if I'm not mistaken, it was Wednesday when we heard about Brock Purdy being in concussion protocol. Generally, those guys do not play that week. And Brock Purdy has practiced back-to-back -back days, whether it be in a limited fashion or not. It's just a matter of him getting cleared from concussion protocol, which I don't know about you, Peter, but I'm really confused as to if he has a concussion and is displaying symptoms, why is he practicing? Right. If he's allowed to practice, 
then he doesn't have a concussion. Like, these are two simple things here, but apparently not in the NFL, um, you know, because they want to protect your head. Uh, but anyway, it'll be really interesting. If Sam Darnold starts, I'd imagine, I would imagine that the Bengals come out and win this game, and that would be three straight losses for the Niners. And we would be, you know, having some serious discussions about the Niners and, and what's going on there. Having said that, like I said, Kyle Shanahan finds a, a way to win with backup quarterbacks all the time. This is nothing new. So I think this game is going to be close. I think it's within a field goal if, if Sam Darnold is starting still. Um, but we're going to see that, you know, you mentioned Debo in that, and, and I don't mean to rant, but you mentioned Debo in that, Brock Purdy with Devo Samuel out of the lineup has, has struggled a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then you start to have the conversations like, okay, I don't want to say how good is Brock Purdy, but does Devo Samuel really mean that much to this offense? Cause I didn't think he did. I thought it was Brandon Ayuk and you know, Devo was a nice piece. And when Brandon Ayuk got hurt, he filled in great. It worked out. But Debo Samuel is a big part of this offense. He takes a little bit of the load off of Christian McCaffrey because of the way that they use him. Takes a little bit of a load off of Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle. So I'd be curious to see how this offense progresses if they have to play with Sam Darnold at quarterback and what that looks like with Debo Samuel out another week. Yeah, I think Debo is really important to that group. Um, I, I think he's one of the more talented players in the league. I think he's sometimes at some points he gets a little overrated, uh, but then I think it gets to the point where it's a little underrated because people kind of just get sick of him. But I think he's really, really good. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is kind of funny to think a couple of years ago, oh, well, this team is without their seventh round quarterback. How could they possibly survive? But that's where yeah, right? that, that's where Brock Purdy has gotten to with this group. It's been quite the story out there so far. Uh, the rest of the schedule kind of sucks, but uh, the Rams... Yeah. <laughs> taking on the Dallas Cowboys. Um, the, this Rams team, everyone kind of had written them off. There was the comments in the offseason about how Matthew Stafford, uh, from his wife, uh, saying that Stafford hasn't clicked with, with any of the, the young guys. That was either a smokescreen or just a lie. Because uh, it, it seems like that this offense is actually pretty good. I kind of believe, not that they can get back to the Super Bowl, but I kind of believe in this Rams team being a playoff team in the NFC. Yeah, well, especially because the NFC is so wide open, right? Yeah. And 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 even I think the the biggest reason why you can believe that the Rams are there is because the Seahawks have not been the same team as we saw last year. So they have a chance to make hay in the division, which helps them out. Like you, I, I'm not gonna lie, I didn't have the Rams making the playoffs. I had them out of the playoffs. I my one of my hot takes was that Aaron Donald, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, and Sean McVay weren't going to be back next year, and they were just going to totally blow this thing up. Um, I mean, there's still time for that. There's lots of season left, but they've played a lot better than I think anybody could have expected outside of the LA Rams. They have a championship culture in there. Even though it's a bunch of rookies, Sean McVay's won. The, the, the guys, the leaders, Aaron Donald, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, the guys that I mentioned, those guys have won. So that's where the difference lies between them and a lot of teams. They still believe that they are championship caliber. So, Having said that, if you've got guys that are motivated, and it certainly seems like they are, they're going to play better. The defense has been has been good. The offense has had its moments. There's there's days where it just looks like they're going to score at will, and then there's other days where you go, oh boy, like what what's what's this going to look like? The loss of Kyron Williams will end up probably coming out in the wash here, and we'll see, you know, what Daryl Henderson is like uh, for back to back weeks, and Royce Freeman, and it's really a hodgepodge of of running backs that they've kind of just brought in miles Gaskins on the practice squad. And they, 
you know, Zach Evans barely got a sniff last week. And so we'll see what this week brings, but they were running the ball very efficiently, generally speaking over the course of the year with Kyron Williams. And it was so, so much so that they traded away Cam Akers for basically nothing. And Cam Akers has shown at times, he's still a good football player. So that's all part of this and where the Rams kind of go. If they're able to continue establishing the run, going to open up lanes. And I mean, Cooper Cup doesn't really need them because he just seems to get open all the time. But he's coming off of a, a rough week last week against the Steelers. He only had two catches for 29 yards. Puka Nakua went off again. But they've got the pieces there. And especially their defense has played a lot better than I think a lot of us thought it was going to. They're an interesting team. They're definitely going to be in the hunt. I don't know if they are a playoff team, but they're certainly going to be in the conversation in that NFC, which again is kind of up in the air here. Like, do we really believe in the Cowboys? Do do you believe that the Vikings can somehow find magic in a bottle after beating the Niners and they don't have Justin Jefferson? Like, I don't know everything, you know, by, by this point in the season, we generally have an idea of what each team looks like. There are a lot of teams where I have no idea. And I know they say any given Sunday, but I'm looking at it going, this is a complete crapshoot every week. I mean, my betting record certainly establishes that fact, but it really does feel like that statement that any given Sunday slogan really does take effect this year. How many elite teams are there? Do we, are the Eagles elite? Maybe. We know we think the Kansas City Chiefs are pretty elite, but after that, like, are the Ravens there? The are the Bills there? Are the Dolphins there? I don't know. I, the Niners. I, I think there's a lot of questions, and that's why it makes this playoff race. It's going to be very interesting. Oh, absolutely. And you talk about your betting record. There uh, may or may not be a website that would get Shane Pinto in trouble that has uh, a wager Ooh. for me on uh, the, the LA Rams to be the worst team in the NFL. So uh, a lot would have to happen for that to come true, but I think that might be a miss. Um, but talking of teams that well, we aren't entirely sure where they kind of fit in, uh, we go to Monday night because the, the NFL thought, you know what? These guys will watch anything in primetime. So we get Bears Chargers in primetime and then Raiders Lions on Monday night. But the, the Lions are team everyone is very hot and bothered about the the Detroit Lions but I I'm just not there yet I I look at this team's schedule and yes five and two they beat Kansas City week one I'll, I'll do credit there after that your wins are the Falcons the Packers the Panthers and the Bucks I can't put you as a Super Bowl contender when you're the Lions and those are your only wins so far they got bullied by the Ravens last week. We're not going to learn anything this week because they're going to kick the crap out of the Raiders. But what do you make of the the Detroit Lions? Am I being too harsh uh, on the eventual NFC North champions? So here, so I, I pose, I take your question and pose a question to you. Do you think that the Miami Dolphins are elite then, or are they a good team? Uh, the Dolphins are a good team. I don't know if I put them elite just yet, but I, it, it's the same thing there, right? Like any, any top tier team that they've played, they've lost either. to. Yeah. Yeah, and and the Chiefs, you know, have they really beaten anybody? Like that? See, this is what I'm saying. Like, I don't know what a lot of these teams are. I think I have an idea of what the Lions are. I think that you know they had back-to-back road games. They did a, a really good job against the Bucks on the road. They went into Baltimore, and Baltimore was just a buzzsaw. Like, I don't think honestly, I don't think anybody was beaten the Baltimore Ravens on that day. Their defense was top-notch. Their offense was making plays like we expected them to with Todd Munkin as the offensive coordinator. I kind of chalked that one up for the Lions as that game happened. And 
I mean, other teams have them more often than not. But if we if we take this back to even last year, over the course of, you know, the last, whatever it is, 18, 19 games, the Detroit Lions have one of, if not the best record in the NFL during that time. It's pretty impressive. And they've been doing it, you know, without David Montgomery. And I know Jameer Gibbs is really good last week in that loss. But they've been doing it without David Montgomery. They've, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown's been great. And he's had some nagging injuries here and there. Sam Laporta has been way better than advertised. And defensively, they're really good. Like Alex Anzalone was an afterthought in New Orleans. And now he's one of the best linebackers in the NFL. And he's got beautiful flowing blonde hair, which also helps. But uh, when you're that handsome, I mean, then people, you know, will react a different way to you. I don't know what that feels like, Peter. So I don't, I'm just (laughs) going off of what I think, but they're a really good team. The coach has them playing. They play in their, in the image of their coach. It's kind of like Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh, right? They, they grind it out. They, they are in every game aside from that Ravens game. So I still think they're, they're definitely the class of the, of the NFC North. I'll stand by my bold prediction from the, from the start of the year. I think the lions get to the NFC championship game. I think the offense is, is getting going. Their defense has been really good. The turnover that they've had um, from this year to last in terms of their run, their run defense was, you know, and I made this point um, a couple of weeks ago when you were, when I was doing the fantasy show, whoever was playing the Detroit lions, if they were a running back, I don't care if they were waiver wire fodder. I don't care if they just got off the couch, you start them against the Detroit lions run defense. You don't have that conversation anymore. Because the Lions' run defense has been really good. So I think there's a nice mix there of having a really solid defense, a really good offense that moves the ball well, and they can beat you on the ground or through the air. I think there's a lot of positives with the Lions. And I know it's, it's kind of hypocritical for me to say, well, chalk up that last loss against the Ravens as just one game. But I, I really, truly believe that it is one game for the Lions because they've been rolling over the past you know, 18 or 19 games. Uh, Matt, always fun, man. Enjoy uh, all the conversations we have about football. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy a a newly renovated laundry room. And uh, we'll we'll chat again soon. For sure, buddy. Thanks a lot. Take care. (laughs) Have a good one. There is Matt Marchese from the Fan Checkdown on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. We break and talk Heritage Classic next with Avery Lewis McDougal from the Hockey News here on Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Wrapping up Sportsnet today here on Sportsnet 960. Uh, my name is Peter Klein. You can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I am at Primetime Klein. Today, I'm in the DL Basement Systems downtown studio for Doug Lacey's Basement Systems. Cracked foundation, Boeing foundation walls. We have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They are all things basement Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Calm. It is Heritage Classic weekend. <laughs> Boy, it feels like it uh, with the, the Flames and the Oilers gearing up for a big tilt at Commonwealth Stadium this Sunday. Uh, boots on the ground right now. Uh, we head out to Edmonton on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Very pleased to be joined by Avery Lewis McDougal of the Hockey News and a number of other ventures. Uh, he, he doesn't know a well-cooked steak, but he does know hockey. Uh, Avery, how are you today, sir? Peter Klein, what's cracking, buddy? What's shaking, homeboy? Not much, man. Excited. I, I was going to say excited for this weekend. I'm excited for this weekend. I don't know if that has anything to do with the hockey game that we'll be watching, but uh, excited for the weekend. I, I gather from um, uh, texts with you and w- with what you were uh, experiencing in the locker room there on uh, last night that the vibes in Edmonton are about the same as they are here in Calgary. Would I be correct in that assessment? 
you would be very correct in that walking into that room and talking to Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Darnell Nurse, you have the sense and even just talking to you, you've seen your post-game quotes. Like, this is a team that's frustrated. They know they have to do better. And being 1-5-1 one, and one, when everybody and the dog said you would be in the cup final isn't good enough. Yeah, it, it's been a rough go out in Edmonton. Obviously, right now, Connor McDavid is out, so that, that doesn't help. But there, there were struggles before he went down with injury. Um, so very simply, what's the problem in Edmonton right now? Uh, you know, it's not one problem. It's a, it's a combination of many things. This team right now, you're seeing the power plays on decline. The penalty kill is having issues. And you're seeing them trying to adjust to playing a zone defensive system. And it's not working right now. And last night against the Rangers, this team gave up way too many odd man chances. The best player on the ice was easily Stuart Skinner. If it wasn't for Stuart Skinner making uh, quite a few major saves, that game could have easily been five or six nothing against the Rangers. And it was a game in which the Rangers shockingly played Jonathan Quick last night. And Edmonton only had, I think, about 10 shots, maybe through the second period. It just wasn't enough effort towards John Quick. And really, you didn't feel the Rangers team, like the Rangers, they didn't sense they were scared at all. And that's the thing, in Edmonton, a team like the Oilers, you should want to feel the Rangers coming in, fearing you. You should want the Rangers thinking, hey, 82 points, let's put John Quick in tonight. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, yeah, uh, shout out by John Quick, I, I don't think was really on my Oilers bi- uh, bingo card for the upcoming season. Uh, we're having a, kind of similar discussions out here about, well, systems have changed and, and all of those sorts of things. Um, do you think it's just a matter of time before this gets figured out, or are these bigger problems than maybe people expected in Edmonton this year? You know, I think they will be figured out. There's too many good players in Throster for this to, for this to compound even further. I know this team will get back Carmen McDavid soon. You still have Leon Dreisaitl. You still have Zach Hyman. You still have Randy Hopkins. There are still good players on this team, uh, Ethan Bouchard, uh, M. Bouchard, for example. There's still good players on this team. It really is a matter of, I think, you know, having a meeting, figuring things out. I think this team will sort things out in the Western Conference, Peter. For the goaltending situation, I, I will admit I bought into preseason Jack Campbell. Uh, I saw him play and I was like, all right, this guy, it may have been against the, the Calgary Wranglers, but this dude looks like he's got it back. The Edmonton off to the, the Stanley Cup they go. That that appears to have been an incorrect assessment. Uh, is this Skinner's net one more time? As it sounds right now, I do think it is. And I think everybody in Edmonton want to see Jack Campbell bounce back. Everybody want to see him have a strong rebound year. But so far... I think it is, once again, Stuart Skinner's net. I mentioned a second ago how Skinner made so many 10-bell saves to keep the Oilers in things last night. But for the time being right now, I do think it's going to be Skinner's net. I know I know we have, um, I know Jay Woodcroft wants to keep that split going of Campbell and Skinner. But personally, I think the net right now is going to be Skinner's for the time being, I think. It is interesting that this team, if they win on Sunday, will have won more games at Commonwealth than uh, at Rogers this year. But that, that's the that's the situation they are at. Um, it, it's funny after watching the CFL this year, I'm just used to an Edmonton team with a zero in the home win column. But um, it is when, when Connor McDavid does come back, how many? Obviously, having the best player in the world helps. How, how many problems does that solve? Having that guy back in the lineup. Oh, having Connor McDavid back in the lineup, it solves. I would say. Is a, is a number high enough? Like that, <laughs> he solves everything from uh, power play production, five on five production. He's the kind of guy like he can do everything. Heck, even before he got hurt, you saw a little sports where kind of play on the penalty kill. Like he can give that team so much of a jolt in terms of numbers and just confidence in general, because that entire locker room respects him as a leader, 
they live and die with Connor McDavid. So getting him back will do wonders for this team. Uh, hopefully before Sunday, because you never know. We saw this guy break his leg last year in 2018-2019 and come back a year later and miss not a single game. So Out here, there's been a lot of conversation about, like, okay, it's it's really, really bad right now, but what, what's, what are reasons for optimism? And, and in Calgary, it's been the play of, of Jacob Markstrom so far this season. Well, what are some of the things to be optimistic about for the Oilers through seven games this year? You know, I would say I would say the fact that Evan Bouchard, even though yes, defensively, Evan Bouchard has at times struggled. He still has, I think, it's what four, uh, five points in, four, in in six games. He is still going to be a key cog on this team's blue line. You still have you still have Matthias Ekholm, who yes, came back from injury, but you've seen Ekholm at times. You see Ekholm now start to recover now from his injury. So those two are guys who I still think are shining lights. And again, you still have Leon Drysaddle. Drysaddle does what he can carry the weight when Conor McDavid is gone because he's still he's still a top five player in the league. So there are three signs I think for how to be obviously for his team right now, Peter. Has Leon Dreisaitl ever got mad at you for a question you've asked in a scrum? Actually no. He's nice. said he have a great no he said you have a great suit collection. That's what quote from Leon Dreisaitl. <laughs> oh there you go. I'd put that on a business card. Uh no one would say that to me, but I would put that on a business card if they did. Um <laughs> it, it it feels like the, it feels like, again, from a distance, the, the vibes are a little off right now. What's the, the fan base? I know you guys are, are very connected with the, the fan base, but what, um, what is the, the fan base saying about this group right now? Oh, I would say the fan base right now, there is, there is that tinge right now of doom and gloom sinking in because everybody really bought into that. This team, this being the year, it's been a couple of bust year. They're going to come out hot. And no one in this market saw this team struggling so hard. You're, you're starting to see... We're trying to see some fans suggest uh, make a trade, uh, fire Holland, fire Woodcroft. You're seeing those sentiments start to sneak in now. And last night, we saw this team get booed up the ice after the second period. So you're seeing that, that doom and gloom sinking in now. And when the team has won only one game and we're almost in November, I mean, it's hard, not, it's hard to not feel bad for fans who wanted more to start the year, Peter. I want to ask about Dylan Holloway. Uh, he played in the AJ out in Okotoks. I had the chance uh, through this network, actually, to, to call a couple of his games. Um, yeah. So people out here, uh, near and dear to a lot of hearts, no points yeah. in seven games, didn't really get, uh, I think, the, the shot a lot of people wanted him to uh, a season ago. What, what have you made of Dylan Holloway so far? Because the stats don't look awesome. No, the stats right now, the stats don't look good, but when Dylan plays with skill on a line, he knows how to get to the net. He still tries to generate chances. I think for Dylan, it's a matter of him playing a little bit more in the top six, getting him going. Because when Dylan Holloway plays with guys who are high skill, we saw it last year, he was able to get points up and score a couple of goals. He's the kind of guy where you, you put him in the top six. I think Dylan Holloway will impress some people and start to shake off that little that funk he's in right now. In terms of the, the, the weekend now, it's the, the Heritage Classic. We're doing it at, at Commonwealth Stadium. Um, just seeing in a, a group chat we are in, you're having a hell of a time. Uh, but what, what is the, the atmosphere like in Edmonton, specifically around this event? You know, around this event, you know, of course, common sentiment is that um, there's been too many outdoor games. It's going to be a bit watered down. But when you come down to downtown Edmonton, you, you're seeing um, fans having fun, meeting alumni. You've seen kids meeting um, the favorite players. The atmosphere downtown is still very fun. It's a party atmosphere. It's a, it's a fun vibe. I think it's, these outdoor games run so better for people who actually go to the games than watching them on TV. But no, it's a really fun time here. It's a family-friendly uh, event. You're seeing Flames and Oilers fans mingling. But no, the actual event itself down here 
it's really it's really um, upbeat right now. Uh, I always la- I like asking people this because, like, you know, covering a team, you're in it all the time. We're here in it on the Flames. But what, what's your view of the, the Edmonton opposition coming up this Sunday? The, the Flames off to about as slow of a start as the Oilers are. What do you make of uh, your provincial rivals through eight games this year? You know, I had the Flames, mostly the Oilers, I had the Flames being a team that was going to challenge for a spot Western Conference. I had the Flames being possibly wildcard one, uh, number three in the Pacific Division. I didn't seem sorry in this slow either. And we saw the loss against St. Louis. We saw the comments against Blue. Like, the Flames' struggles to me are, are equally as surprising considering you have guys like Zadorov, you have Kadri, Huberto, you have a lot of weapons in Calgary. The fact to see Calgary is also too... And then Jacob Markstrom having his issues as well, too. Seeing Calgary still in that funk doesn't make sense to me. It's not clicking to me for a team that I thought would really be bouncing back here in 2023-2024. Yeah, it's it's led to a lot of frustration out here. The, the text line, very angry about how things have gone <laughs> uh, so far this season. Um, I, I know you're busy, so I will let you go in a second. I, I do want to ask, because I know you do some stuff around the Canadian Football League as well. This was probably not the year the Elks would have wanted, but I would imagine a bit of optimism given uh, how the, the quarterback position improved with Trey Ford coming in there. Going into next year, how are you feeling about this Elks squad? No, I just want more optimism. We so you mentioned Trey Ford had 12 touchdown passes this year, and you're seeing a lot of guys emerge from this roster this year. You see, you saw Kevin Brown had a thousand yards. You see younger receivers like Gavin Cobb having a make, making his debut, getting his first touchdown catch, and you see Jake Zarezna, who was still once again one of the best pass rushers in the CFL. There was a reason to be optimistic. Now this team won some games at home finally in what felt like 84 years. But no, I think the Elks they're going to be a much better team next year. And I really do think you'll see Edmonton in the postseason come 2024. It's what Chris Jones needs for this football club next year. Uh, Avery, I've really enjoyed this, man. Thank you for doing this. Uh, I know you have about 800 things on the go this weekend, so we really appreciate it. Uh, follow the man. He's one of the hardest working guys in Canadian media. Follow him uh, on Twitter at Avery, A-V-R-Y. Uh, just one more before you go here. This is uh, a hot button issue in a, a group Uh-oh. chat we are in. And uh, given the province we are in, it, it's hot button as well. Explain to people why you think steak well done is the way to go. I just don't trust uncooked beef. If it's not well done, I won't touch it. Well done only. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, next time I see you, I'll bring a hockey puck because it's basically the same thing. Uh, Avery, wow. thank- <laughs> thanks for doing this, man. Have a good one. Of course, Peter. Anytime, buddy. Cheers. There is Avery Lewis McDougal from the Hockey News joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. It's like once a week in a group chat I'm in with him where he'll like have he has a, an encyclopedic memory of the national hockey league B covers the Oilers now. And he, Oh yeah. Darnell nurse, this, that, and the other thing. And someone just be like, yeah, but you hate steak. And it's, it's the funniest thing. So I'm happy we got to, to get him on the record about that here, but no, it's going to be an interesting weekend because the, the Oilers it's, it's too easy to just say, well, Connor McDavid's hurt. So that's why things have been so bad. Um, they, they have some issues there. They have like so many teams and, um, that this has been covered in a number of different spots. So many teams seeing what the, the Vegas Golden Knights did and seeing the success that they have had with a, a zone defensive system are going to that and going to new systems. The, the Oilers, they had just kind of figured out how to defend maybe a little bit. And now, oh, well, let's just change everything. So they are really working through it right now. And I, I think it's going to be interesting. How long do you stick with something that's not working? It's like we, the conversations we're having here in Calgary, right? Like, how long do you stick with lines that aren't working when one of the things that's going to help them work is consistency and continuity? 
it would be, it, it, it's difficult to learn a new system. Now, I would imagine it'd be even more difficult to just change it midway through the season. But the Oilers certainly, there's a lot of pressure on this team this season. Um, I, I think to have two of the top players in the National Hockey League and one Western Conference, one, right? One Western Conference Finals appearance um, to, to say for it, they, they have ridiculous expectations out in Edmonton this season. And it has been a disaster. A lot of it is in goal. A bunch of it is on the blue line, but the forward group needs to, to step up for them as well. Um, it, it's such an intriguing matchup this weekend because you do have like the loser of this game. It is going to feel like the rock bottomist of rock bottoms. It, it's, it already feels extremely low. We, we've talked today about just how hopeless things have felt around this team. You go out and get thumped by the current second worst team in the national hockey league um, on a national stage outdoors. That's just going to like, that's it's those types of things that are going to be tough to come back from. And for, I'm not saying the season's going to be over after nine games. I, I don't want it. I don't want to get to that doom and gloom just yet, but from an Oilers perspective, Avery's right. Like a lot of people have them going to the, the Stanley cup. They were my pick to represent the, the Western conference in the Stanley cup final this year. Teams go through rough patches, but uh, if they had one win in their first eight games, including a, a loss at the Heritage Classic to the Calgary Flames, that's going to be difficult for them to to bounce back from. Um, it, it's yeah, it, it's it's so interesting this weekend. I know it's we're hyping up a battle between the 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 second worst and fourth worst team in the NHL coming into to Sunday but it, it just feels like for an early season game there is so much on the line and it feels like it has the potential anyway i'm not going to say if the flames win well the season's been saved and signed Lynn home to 10 million dollars instead of 9 um i'm not saying any of that but it does feel like it's one of those early fork in the road moments that things can go real real bad or you can start the process of writing the ship a little bit, but for both sides, it comes down to best players need to be, need to be best players. Yes. On the Calgary side, it would be a whole lot easier to face one of the more talented offensive teams in the NHL. If you had Rasmus Anderson there and for Edmonton, boy, it sure would be nice to go into a national spotlight game with um, the best hockey player on planet earth on your roster. That, that probably, I would imagine that helps things out a little bit. So it is, it's such an intriguing matchup. It's such a big matchup, and uh, you know Sportsnet 960 has you covered. Uh, you've heard the promos. Maddie and George are going to be down there uh, with uh, extended pregame. Pat Steinberg is going to be on the air, uh, and then the call with Wilsey and Mickelson from Edmonton. It's it's a big weekend, and it's really fun. You know, like th this has not been a fun season and a bit for the Flames, right? Like last year, I don't know if a lot of fans enjoyed that. This year, I don't know if a lot of fans have enjoyed it so far this year. Take at least a bit of time to enjoy this one. Now, this is cool. I know that these games have been a bit overdone and not everyone um, is in favor of them anymore. I personally think it's insane that we have regular season games played like this. If it were me, it would be all-star games, but that's another thing for another day. It's a cool thing that your team is involved in. So try to appreciate the fun aspects of it while uh, pulling your hair out at how terrible this team has been. Uh, text here at 960, that 960. That's why a rebuild is not always the answer. Look at the Oilers. Four first round picks plus a third overall, uh, fourth overall, seventh overall, and not a win past the second round. Um, that That's something that I have said before. It is, it's one thing to say, oh yeah, rebuild. It's another thing 
to rebuild correctly. You know, because I'm old enough to remember when the Edmonton rebuild was going to be turned around by uh, Cogliano and Sam Gagne. Those were going to be the cornerstones of the, the bright future for Edmonton. And then they had to go for a new era of first round picks to come in for a new era of first overall picks to, to come in. You look at um, what's happening out in Ottawa right now. They have done an amazing job of accumulating talent. Um, Shabbat, very highly touted prospect on the blue line. Stutzla, Kachuk, um, Norris, Pinto, all forwards that you're really excited about. They haven't been able to figure out the goaltending this season, this week, everything is just going wrong with the Pinto thing. And uh, now Shabbat's broken his hand. It's, it is an effective way to go about it because you look like the, the Blackhawks uh, now twice have gotten great players out of it. Like it is, it is a smart way to go about things, but it's not easy. It, it's not just, oh yeah, suck for a little bit. And then all of a sudden you're the Houston Astros and you're in championship games for eight years in a row. Sometimes you end up being the Oilers where it takes two, three, four cracks at it to get it right. Uh, a couple more here. Nine, six, zero, nine, six, zero. Randy saying uh, Oilers are my team, but the way they are playing flames win this game, sir. I counter with the way the flames are playing Oilers win this game. So the puck is just going to explode at center ice and no one's going to know what to do. If the flames lose Conroy might as well take that Hannafin contract extension to the shredder. Thank Lindholm for his service and start selling off. I mean, look, they're already losing with those guys. in, so I don't know what kind of teardown you need, but no, that's, that's it. How, how locked into this team do you want to be? given everything that has gone on uh, at the first part of this season and basically all of last year. Um, I did honestly, Cam, want to get to the Florida Man games, but I, I don't know if uh, a minute and a half is enough time to really dive into something that features beer belly wrestling and evading arrest obstacle course. You just did it. We're good. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll ask you how you did on that when we come back. That's on all Monday. you need to know. <laughs> um, all right. This is going to be a fun weekend, right? Like we, we got the, the heritage classic coming up tonight. You got the Hitman taking on the Lethbridge hurricanes, seven o'clock start here on Sportsnet 960. There's also the world series, Arizona taking on Texas. No one has any idea how that is going to go. Basketball is back. The NFL is kicking on Sunday. This is going to be a really, really fun weekend. Uh, keep it locked here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan for coverage of everything. Like Hitman, we got the, the Flames absolutely covered. Probably going to be some NFL sprinkled in throughout the weekend as well. But it's a, a fun weekend, but it is a big weekend for the Calgary Flames. It's only nine games in, but this is a team that is absolutely 100% going to have to get this thing back on track. Yes, it starts with hard work and all of those sorts of things, but this needs to get back on track in a hurry. Cause you saw last year how quickly things can spiral. And I'm not saying they have spiraled. I am saying spiraling though, having lost four in a row, including a lackluster performance against the St. Louis blues one night ago. That is going to do it for me. Thank you all so much. You can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I am at Primetime Klein. Uh, coming up next, we have the real Kipper and Bourne. Following that, it is Flames Talk with Steinberg and Vickers. Then it's the Hockey PDO cast, and then the Calgary Hitmen taking on the Lethbridge Hurricanes at 7. This has been Sportsnet Today from the DL Basement Systems downtown studio. If you missed any of it, hour number one, already up. Cam is a rock star. Hour number two, uh, Cam is probably going to let that compliment go to his head and take a while with the second podcast. But the show's not done yet. We got to finish it first, and then I'll post it. Well, it'd be easier if I would quit getting interrupted. Sorry, I'm trying to trying to sign off on a show, and I just go. Well, it'd be easier. <laughs> go on. Well, no, now I'm out of my flow, out of my rhythm. You just derailed this entire, ruined, I would say, this entire show.
Thanks, Cam. Anyway, hour two of this podcast, that was so unnecessary. Hour two of this podcast is going to be up uh, probably in the next 20 minutes or so. So if you missed our conversation with Matt Marchese about the NFL, uh, you can find it there. If you missed our conversation with Avery about hockey and stakes, uh, you can find it up on podcast form. Thank you all so much. It's always a blast chatting with you. Let's do it again Monday, shall we? Here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.